Snap Studios. Okay, so there's a wealthy neighborhood not too far from where I live. And I'm wandering over there the other day because I found out through some well-placed sources where they hid this beautiful outdoor track and this wonderful, glorious pool I'm going to get my exercise on. Of course, a few folk kind of give me that, that eye. But I don't pay any never mind because I'm listening to a podcast. And this podcast, it's about this world. This world I tend to inhabit. The world I always inhabit. The show is called The Secret Adventures of Black People. And there's no plot twist, no big story, but I dig it. I really dig it because the creator, Nicole Hill, she just takes me there. And I want to take you there. So to kick things off, we're going to play just a few minutes of it for you right now. Once upon a time, they lived a woman named my Aunt Stephanie. One day, in her 40s, she found herself heartbroken in sunny California and at a crossroads in life. She decided to move back to her small factory town in Maine and swear off love for good. She's black, I'm black, there are black people in Maine, it's fine. Okay. Once there, she ran into the local carpenter named Eddie. Eddie fell in love with her on sight. And he tried everything he could think of to get her attention, but none of it worked. My aunt was not having it. Then one day, as legend has it, he built her an intricate oversized mirror, the most beautiful mirror in all the land for the most beautiful woman, and my aunt Stephanie's heart started to warm. Slowly, they became friends. Then they fell in love, got married, settled in the main countryside and planted vegetables and raised chickens and lived happily ever after the end. That's a true story. I visited Maine last fall and on a drive into town, my aunt asked how my Hallmark movie was coming along. I let her know it was looking a, a, a little different. Okay, so there's three apps mm-hmm. that people use. I hate them all. <laughs> okay. Um, here's... So I have, like, a ton of likes here, but I'm, I have to pay to see them, which I'm not going to do You have that. to pay to see them? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess they have to make money somehow. Mm-hmm. So... Goodness okay. gracious, what kind of world is this? This is What happened to people just, just seeing somebody and just, hey, how, hello, how are you? Just talking, I mean. No, this is the only way. Wow. So then it's like looking for somebody I can't wait to see at the end of the day. Like you have to say stuff like that. Yeah. And so, and then I don't think I, you can get to know somebody on here until you meet up and see if the chemistry is there. I enjoy fishing, kayaking, visiting breweries, sci-fi movies, and reading. Everybody visiting does. breweries, huh? <laughs> What's wrong with that? What does that signal to you? <laughs> drinking. You like to drink. <laughs> 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 Okay, I don't even know how to spell it, pronounce that name. Retired military grad student, Star Trek. You guys like Star Trek, yeah. right? Yeah, let's see his face. 
Michael. Look at him. He's uh -uh. <laughs> a firefighter, graphic designer, very outgoing. And, and they all put their height. He's all into bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah. He's into bodybuilding? Mm -hmm. So what exactly is rugby? It's like a form of soccer? <laughs> Sorry, it just looks wooly. But then you're judging people. I know, that's all it is like, though. <laughs> these could be very nice people, you know, you don't even know. Hi. Hello. Your total is 24. Okay, thank you. This guy has a boat. Oh, Jessica, thank you. Thank you. My philosophy, it's difficult to get to know somebody on here. Yes, please. He likes it in the boat. Do you like boats? Uh, I don't know. I've never been rich enough to have an opinion I mean, have you on been boats. on it? I don't think I've ever been on a boat. Oh, we want We spend a whole afternoon on a boat. It's beautiful. That seasick is like, oh, I don't ever want to do that. Oh, again. really? It is gorgeous. It's like a whole different perspective. But I can't. I wouldn't want to spend my time on a boat. Mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, no, we don't want to bring him into the family mm -mm. then. Too many boats. No. And then you just have to do this forever. We just keep going through it to see these mm -hmm. guys. Or you go to a I want to see what you like. I want to see it's, what. I, okay, I'm gonna to try to find somebody. Yeah, I would like a couple that here. you that you would say. Oh, okay. Yeah. I might be interested in this person. I don't know. I mean, it's so hard like. to pick on this thing. He's cute. Like I would like. It, that's fine. You think he was cute? Okay. Yeah. yeah. This guy. I don't know. You have a great sense of humor. So do you mind, is it color an issue with you? No, I don't care about that. Okay, good. Like, that's a good picture of you, but I know it's a trick. <laughs> so it's going to be a no. <laughs> this guy's holding an alligator. Really? These are Maine people. Oh, mm. get off the Maine side. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Eddie and I went to um, Belfast, mm. and there was this guy there. He was... um from Chicago and he had these dreadlocks. Mm. I thought about you because he was really cute. Was he? And he was very nice and very educated. Was he white with locks? He was black. He was oh. black and he had this he was very cute, very well dressed, very educated, carried himself very well, very well spoken, very friendly. Just in the future you can just Thank give you. those guys my number. Okay. And just, I thought about it, so I'm like, oh mm. just go ahead on. We're past dignity. I'm like, yeah. He said he was just out. He said I wanted to just come see Maine, so I just took a road trip. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh well, hmm. and he gets on out there. Okay, oh, all right. <laughs> should have got the man's number. <laughs> Next time I will. <laughs> just start getting random calls. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I have a niece. Come <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, you. <laughs> More and more people have been talking about wanting to come up to Maine. Yeah, people are doing it. Gorgeous. They want to come, and he said I wanted to come see. Um, see what it was like here. I used to come to this day. I love tagging along in the Coles world. The Secret Adventures of Black People. Subscribe to the podcast. Amazing stories celebrating the fact that all black lives, both the ordinary and the extraordinary, they all matter. Piece was written by Nicole Hill, production assistant from Shante Hill. And story editing assistance from Talia Bender. The music is from Epidemic Sound. The Secret Adventures of Black People.com. And I love it so much. I love it so much, in fact, that I thought today we'd take you on a journey through this space. Snap style. We proudly present The Secret Adventures of Black People. My name is Gun Washington. And today, I'm afraid you're gonna have to step out of the car. 
because you fit the description when you're listening to Snap Judgment. Again, with one of my favorite storytellers of all time, Sonia Renee Taylor, takes a Snap Judgment live stage, and we save you the very best seat in the house. Snap Judgment, live. sweaty knees. <laughs> if you were a little black girl, it is likely that you knew your mama had sweaty knees too. And we knew this because for nearly a decade, we sat between our mama's sweaty knees to have any myriad of atrocities committed to our scalps. <laughs> my mama braided, ponytailed, pulled my hair every single day of the week. And every six weeks, I got a relaxer. (laughs) I can assure you there is nothing relaxing about having eight-year-old black girl hair. (laughs) Actually, I was pretty certain there was nothing that could be worse. See, first there were the commercials, the ones with people who never had faces or hair like mine. And then there was my mother's sheer disdain and short-temperedness every time I sat between her sweaty knees to have my hair pulled, brushed, and snatched back. My mother, five foot, four inches on a good day, had the hands of Hercules. I swear she could rip the steel beams from beneath the very flesh of the Empire State Building, but instead, she used those hands to braid my hair. (laughs) And if I squirmed in the seat while she did it, Stop all that moving around. And if I reached to touch my hair, get your fingers out your head. And if I cried, crack, shut it up, child. Stop all that moving around before I pop you in the head with this brush. I know it sounds awfully abusive. (laughs) It was. (laughs) But the truth is, My mother just wanted her daughter to be beautiful. And when she finished, my hair was a work of art. I was an African princess, a black goddess, queen of the pretty girls everywhere, until I went to school. See, the first thing to die under the heavy weight of my mother's palms were my hair follicles. (laughs) My mother pulled my hair so tightly that by third grade, I had permanent bald spots on the side of my head. Now, not only did I have short hair, but in some places, it was non-existent. And every day I got on the school bus to headed to Wool Slayer Elementary School to be reminded of how far from beautiful I truly was. 
See, there was Tanya Twyman, awful name. Tanya, four years older than me and mean as they made them. I swear she breathed to make my life sad. <laughs> and she always started the school bus ride with a chant that was very quiet at first. Sonia, 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 Sonia bought spots. <laughs> and the whole bus would join in. Sonia, Sonia bought spots while I sat in the front and wept closest to the bus driver. They became the soundtrack of my most visceral insecurities, the music of my adolescence. My first date, Sonia, Sonia ball spots. The first time I kissed a boy, Sonia, Sonia ball spots. The first time I fell in love, Sonia, Sonia bald spots. They would be singing just behind my back. I was beginning to believe that there would be no respite from the chasm of hair shame. That is, until the 1990s. <laughs> LL Cool J told me he wanted a girl with extensions in her hair, and I thought, finally! <laughs> what I did. See, I had never heard of weave until ninth grade when I realized that black girls all over the land were sprouting shoulder-length locks. No one would have to know the shame lurking beneath the piles of possibly human hair on the top of your head. And I, I knew that I had found my panacea, but quickly my hair heaven turned into a hair hell as I spun in a decade-long cyclone that always lived out the same pattern every year. Get a relaxer, usually leaving painful chemical burns in my scalp. Use glue, add weave, watch my own hair break off like splintered wood as a result of the glue. Get a relaxer and start the process all over again. Until 2001 when I discovered the holy grail of hair solutions, I discovered wigs! <laughs> no, well, actually, it's more like wigs discovered me. See, you could put them on. Up until then, I thought of wigs as like some sort of terrible 1970s relic, something my grandmother would wear, but no, not these wigs. These wigs were beautiful, and these were my ticket to being beautiful. They allowed me to forget about the chemical burns in my mama's sweaty knees. They let me forget that I wasn't beautiful. That is, until I took them off. And then like Cinderella at the end of the ball, I was nine years old and on a bus headed to Woolslayer Elementary. And I promised myself I would never go back there. So I took him off less and less. To walk my dog, I grabbed the wig. To go to the grocery store, I grabbed a wig. I had lovers that knew me for years and never saw me without my wig. 
And even when I became a performance poet and started telling people how to unapologetically love their bodies, I did it all in my wig. Until one day, let's call it today, I woke up and realized I'd been living in a tiny prison of synthetic hair. <laughs> that the wigs had made me a liar. I was really just a little girl pretending to be a woman who actually loved herself. But some deep knowing in the center of my belly kept asking me, what would it be like if I let myself out of that prison? What would it look like if I told the truth to myself, to my world? I think it would look like this. that school bus and grab nine-year-old Sonia by the hand, walk her off of that bus and into womanhood with me, whispering, you have always been beautiful. Beautiful. Sonia Renee Taylor performed for a sold-out, amazing DC crowd for Snap Judgment Live. That score, composed by Alex Mandel, performed by Alex, David Brandt, and Tim Frick. The amazing Sonia Renee Taylor, she's an internationally acclaimed performance poet, actress, educator, activist, so much more. It's all available at SoniaReneeTaylor.com. We'll have links to her world, as well as the video of this performance in all of its technicolor majesty at Snap Judgment. When Snap Judgment, the secret adventures of black people continues, we're not leaving the capital. No, we're going to skip cross town for another story that you will not believe. Snap Judgment, stay tuned. Okay, so, 14 years old, church picnic. Some of the old folk are trying to teach us youngsters how to square dance. And something called a, a, a two-step. I am not feeling it. Nobody's feeling it. So instead of this dosy do thing, I decided to give them a, a little MJ. Woo! A little moonwalk. A little shimmy for the ladies. What? Now, the crowd's on my side. I'm pop-locking. Y'all ain't never seen this, robot. Give me some love. I hit him with that King Tut. They're cheering. 
Even the square dancers dig it. Most of them. Dumanet says, yeah, he only knows how to do that because of their meetings. Huh? I stop. Meetings? She flips her hair around, confident in her clandestine reveal. You know, the black people meetings. Everybody turns back at me. Black people meetings? I see Marcus and Ben, the other actual black people, running away, fast, grinning. The black people meetings. Now everybody's all curious, and Craig's like, I I didn't know you went to black people meetings. What do you do there? (sighs) Um... I'm not really supposed to say. Come on. Well, mostly we're plotting. You know, the violent overthrow of the white supremacist state. Really? Yup. Everybody's got to learn the karate. Wow. And there's a lot of Rick James being sung. Who's he? Plus, those underground railroads, they don't dig themselves. But, but that's not... And sometimes, after Malcolm X class, huh? Sometimes after class... If we're lucky, Renee's right. We might have a few minutes to get our steps together for the magic, mystical, midnight, black dance parade. See? Renee says, I told you. Steve's like, I want to go to see the special black meetings. And Matt's like, me too. Everybody's like, no, 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 wait. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Y'all don't know the password. And I can't trust y'all to behave. Come on. Nope. 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 Them's the rules. Ah! Ah! Nope. And no matter how much they beg and plead, I have held fast to the secret. Held fast. Until now. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the secret adventures of black people. For our next story, we're going to jump on stage with Latif Doman. Latif's story begins when he is just a youngster living in Philadelphia. Latif, take it away. When I, was, uh, when I was eight years old, I obviously wasn't this tall and the microphone didn't have to be this high. But when I was eight years old, uh, our teacher gave us an assignment. We had to write a book report about an American hero. My parents relished these sorts of assignments because it gave them an opportunity to put into my otherwise mainstream public education a bit of their cultural beliefs and their historical perspective. Now, my parents are typical, in fact, they're prototypical North Philadelphian parents, uh, but with a twist. They met in college, that's where they fell in love, and in fact, they met in college at a recruitment rally for the Black Panther Party. (laughs) And they started dating after the party and fell madly in love, and several weeks after that, my father gained a bit of notoriety by climbing on top of the water tower at Cheney State University in protest to some sort of school administration policy that he didn't think was appropriate. And my mother, she did her revolutionary domestic thing by bringing him sandwiches every day that he was up on top of the tower for three weeks and she would cut off the corner of the bread. 
Now, having said that, obviously my family is not the typical American family, but they are. And every day my father uh, would come home and he would pull us together as a family. Now, my parents married in an African ceremony. And I'm looking at my sister, she's taking my picture. But <laughs> my parents married in an African ceremony and it was that attitude that they brought to the parenting of their children. We were raised as Pan-Africanists. And my sisters and I, Layla and Libya, we learned Swahili as we were growing up and we learned, I learned to play the timbale. And uh, before I pulled Christmas gifts out from under a Christmas tree, I was lighting candles at Kwanzaa. And my father would come home from work every day, just like any other family, and he would put his key in the lock, and the three of us would run to the door to greet him. And he would come in the door, and we'd be so excited, and he would greet us in Swahili. He would say, Uhuru, which means freedom. And our response would be, Sasa, which means now. And he'd say, Uhuru, Sasa, Uhuru, Sasa, Uhuru, Sasa, freedom now. And after we met him at the door, we'd go in the house and we'd sit at the table that uh, my mother had prepared for us and we'd have dinner. And my father would sit at the head of the table and, and he would lead us in prayer. And he would thank God for the food on the table, but he'd also thank the patron saints of the black family. He would thank Martin King, Malcolm X, Mar Marcus Garvey, and of course, Marvin Gaye. <laughs> and after dinner, we'd retire to the, to the living room. And my mother and I, sometimes we'd play Scrabble, or sometimes I'd play chess with my father. Um, or more often than not, my father would break out his old records of revolutionary recordings of like Angela Davis and Huey Newton. And we'd sit there and we'd listen to this rhetoric um, that I so much love. But that was my family. And we did this report. And you can imagine that growing up from these parents, my mother picked an American hero that was black. Black Moses, Harriet Tubman. Now, Harriet Tubman, many of you probably know, um, is one of the most prolific conductors on the Underground Railroad. She's probably less well known for being very active and very vocal with women's suffrage. But this woman, uh, who was born illiterate, and born a slave, uh, escaped from slavery that she'd known all her life from the eastern shore of Maryland to Philadelphia, where I grew up. So I wrote this report, and my mother would want you to know that I got an A. <laughs> but more important than that A, uh, what I took away from this assignment was that this incredible person had so much courage that at eight years old, even then I knew I would never have, and I didn't certainly have it at that time. And that even though she couldn't read, she knew that she could read the stars and follow that to this place called the North, this place called the North. And that she was going to this place in pursuit of this thing called freedom, just this thing called freedom. And that when she got there, this thing that she had never experienced, that she didn't know anyone who had experienced, um, that she wasn't by law entitled to have, she wanted that. And in order to get that, she was willing to go 
in the dead of winter, in the dark of night, by starlight, travel miles for almost three weeks from someplace that we could get to in two hours and trust people as black as her who would have sold her out for a scrap of bacon and people as white as the slave master that she was running away from. And I, as that eight-year-old child, had my first understanding of the meaning of faith. And so I wrote that report. Now, I want to tell you that the report, I mean, that story moved me in a way that I had never been moved before. And any child that learns something new tells everybody that they know about that story. And so everyone I met, I told this story. Did you know that Harriet Tubman did a round trip, t round trip between the South and the North 19 times and saved 300 slaves? Did you know that in the eight years that she was a conductor on the Underground, underground Railroad, that she had, had $40,000 of bounties on her head? And did you know that she carried a gun at five feet tall, not to protect her from the slave catchers who were trying to collect those bounties, but to discourage the men who were twice as big as she was, who were afraid to go for this future in the North and were willing to go back to the misery of the plantations that they had known. So I wanted to pay tribute beyond just writing a report about this woman. And I, I didn't know what to do, so I just kept telling stories. And I kept telling this story to my best friend, Rodney. Now, he was my best friend by virtue of the fact that he lived next door to me, and neither of us could get off of our stoop. We weren't permitted to leave the stoop. <laughs> so I must have told him this story a hundred times. And on the hundred and first time, I happened to be telling him the story, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye that in the window was his cat, this big, white, fluffy cat named Snowball. And Snowball, all day long, would sit and watch our street. He would watch our parents go to work and come home. He would watch the delivery men come up and down the street and drop off our packages. He would see us play in the street and on the sidewalk, or on the stoop. And on this particular day, as I was telling the story one more time, I felt that Snowball wanted to be running free in the street. <laughs> and in that moment, I knew exactly how I was going to pay tribute to Harriet Tubman. <laughs> Harriet Tubman had freed the slaves from the evil southern plantation owners. But I, Latif Doman, was going to save the pets from the evil parents in North Philadelphia. <laughs> and so I gathered together all the kids from the neighborhood, and suddenly my parents, my father's records, this revolutionary rhetoric came in handy. And I said, uh, I have a dream that one day cats and dogs will walk down our street, paw and paw. And they will be liberated through our efforts by any means necessary. <laughs>
Because if there is no justice, there will be no peace. And one of the kids said very quickly, he said, where are we going to take them? And I said, without hesitation, to the promised land. book that my mother bought for me about Harriet Tubman did not come with a Google map, right? So for Harriet Tubman, the promised land was Philadelphia. For most of the people that she saved, it was Canada. For me, eight years old, my logic was if I were willing to go through the dead of night and the cold of winter, running from people who were chasing me, this place would have to be something special. This place would have to have no rules and candy all the time. This place would have to be heaven on earth. In other words, this place was grandma's house. <laughs> so, the plan was hatched. We were going to meet on Sunday after church. And we were going to wait till the parents were preoccupied. Mothers cooking Sunday dinner, fathers watching football, and while they were distracted, we were going to release the pets. But we had to do it before our streetlight curfew. And anybody who grew up in the city, you know a streetlight curfew means you have to be back in the house before the streetlight came on. So we had to do all of this before the lights came on. And so Sunday came, and apparently we had no traders because no one discovered us. And the Eagles kicked off, and I'm told if my mother says we were playing the, the Redskins, and we won, right? <laughs> but the kickoff came, and we started releasing the pets. And there were dogs, and there were cats running, uh, there, were, there were birds, and there were, there were hamsters. And this moment was absolutely, gloriously, wondrously pandemonium. <laughs> and in the middle of this bedlam was this kid, Tariq, who lived across the street, who was raised by his grandparents. And he was standing there holding these two leaky bags with his goldfish. <laughs> and the girls were running from the dogs because they were scared of these big dogs, street dogs. And the boys were having a great time, and suddenly the parents started rushing out of the houses. And the parents were capturing the animals again, and they were capturing the children, and they took us all and put us back in the bondage. <laughs> and the parents had gathered us all up, and they ran up, and they had us standing there, and they said, what were you guys doing? Who organized this? And slowly, all heads turned, parents and children, towards me, <laughs> because I guess I had a bit of a reputation. And my father stepped out of the, the crowd of people, and he said, son, what were you thinking? And I said, father, ooh, sasa. Freedom now. Big thanks to Latif Doman and Story District for sharing this performance with Snap. Yes, 
There is a Story District podcast. And yes, you should subscribe. Find out more about what Latif and Story District have going on at our website. It's snapjudgment.org. Production assistance was by Regina Bediaco. If you miss even a moment of today's show, here's the deal. Ask yourself, do you want to carry around a community of amazing storytellers that keep you company day and night, plague or no plague, real people offering to take you on their journey? If you do, take out your phone device situation right now and subscribe to the Snap Judgment Podcast. Watch your life improve for the better, I guarantee it. If you want to hear the story behind the story, Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and share a picture of yourself in one of these funky snap t-shirts. But Glenn, where do I get a t-shirt that makes me look so fly and lets the world know I snap? Where do I get it? Where? Don't worry. Looking good has never been so easy. Snapjudgment.org. Snap is brought to you by the team that goes on adventures with black people all the time. Except for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. He's still on probation after trying to do that moonwalk. Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, John Fasile, Shayna Sheely, Pat Messini Miller, Larissa Dodge, Nika Singh, Taylor Ducat, Leon Morimoto, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Regina Bediaco. Well, this is not the news. No way this is news. In fact, Someone could call their local station and say it's wrong to call a show The Secret Adventures of Black People. It should be called The Secret Adventures of All People. Yes, that will happen. 100% chance and you will still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRI.